subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod's blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. Thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Sunday, June 14th, 2015. If you have questions about chemotherapy treatments for dogs and cats or want to know more about metronomic therapy or nutrition for pets during chemo, you'll want to stay tuned and join us in our live chat room at tripods.com chat or call 646 646- Seven one six five four five zero, and we'll see if we can get your questions answered on the air. Because we are honored to have Dr. Steve Shaw with us today. Dr. Shaw is a board-certified veterinary oncologist practicing at the Sage Centers for Veterinary Specialty and Emergency Care in California. We've got a lot to cover, so please welcome Dr. Shaw to the show. Thanks for joining us, Doctor. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, Dr. Shaw, this is Renee here, and we really, really appreciate you being on our show today so we can go over what we're calling Veterinary Oncology 101 for Pet Parents. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Sure. Well, um, we have a lot a lot of questions here, and we, we do have member questions that we're going to definitely get to. Um, these are folks who asked in the forums earlier in the week, so we'll get to those first. Um, uh, as soon as we go over some basics here. So um, let's start with, with this question that, that a lot of us wonder. How do veterinary oncologists decide on chemotherapy treatments for their patients, uh, for everything from you know, osteosarcoma to fibrosarcoma, um, mast cell tumors? Um, how do you decide what your patients are going to receive? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, so there's a lot of different types of tumors out there, as as you know, and uh, there's a lot of different types of treatments that are out there. And in terms of uh, what what's effective against each type of tumor can be can be very different. And so, um, besides looking at the type of tumor, um, we use uh, the research and the clinical trials that have been published in the past um, to really figure out which types of chemotherapy are supposed to be the most effective for each individual tumor type. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we get that information based off of human medicine as well. Um, So there there actually are quite a few tumor types that occur in cats and dogs that are very similar to what what people have. And so we do wind up um, extrapolating uh, some of the treatments that that uh, they use in human medicine, um, and then a lot of times they'll go through uh, clinical trials and research through uh, a lot of the vet schools and universities um, so that they can publish this research. And um, based off of that, that's how we we decide which 
types of chemotherapy are effective against uh, all the different types of tumors. So a lot of different different ways that, that you reach these recommendations for your patients. Um, I know that a lot of times people get more than one treatment recommended by their vet. Um, how, how does someone decide which one to go with? Um, what do you tell people when you give them more than one choice? Yeah, I think a, a big part of what I do is helping to give what all the options are and to make sure that our, our pet parents are well-educated and um, are able to make uh, an educated decision. Um, and so, um, you know, the things that we consider when we're making recommendations um, include, like I'd mentioned, uh, the research and the efficacy that's been done behind certain types of treatments, um, so how effective those treatments are. Um, and then we also mm-hmm. consider um, how likely uh, a certain patient is to develop side effects from treatment uh, with each protocol. Um, so that's a big um, that's a big consideration. Um, and then there's also um, the the cost for treatments because there can be uh, quite a bit of variability in in what the different types of treatments cost. Um, and so sometimes that can be a limiting factor for for some owners. Um, and then other kind of ancillary things also, um, like the frequency of the visits that are required for some certain types of treatments. Um, there are certainly some cats and dogs that um, that can benefit from uh, from fewer trips into the hospital because of the high level of anxiety sometimes some animals can have. Um, so those are all things to, to consider when making a decision. Um, but, yeah, but most importantly, it's just um, getting getting that information and then uh, having having guidance from your oncologist and um, being able to to really uh, t- tailor the treatment plan um, that would be the best for each individual pet. That's so nice to hear that, that you take all of those things into consideration because I know that uh, the cost of treatment is, is a huge concern in our community and we're always looking for ways that we can inform people about how they can decrease the costs of treatment. Um, are there any uh, specific recommendations you give to your patients as far as, as lowering costs? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, there's a few different things um, that people can consider. Um, certainly, if uh, if the owners have insurance, uh, then that can help to cut down quite a bit on cost. Um, but I think mm-hmm. that uh, pet, pet insurance varies quite a bit um, and the different plans. Uh, some some plans will cover a lot of cancer treatment costs and others don't cover any at all. So you have to be um, well aware of, of what your what your plan covers and doesn't. Um, there are also... Uh, some of the bigger hospitals will sometimes have uh, funds that are set up um, from donors who are are generous and donate to the hospital, and, and sometimes they'll be able to provide financial assistance for uh, for certain cases. Um, however, usually those require um, the, the patients having a, a, a pretty good prognosis and being able mm-hmm. to have a, a good long-term outcome. Um, and then lastly, I think that there's there's quite a bit of a difference in terms of uh, cost for, for some of the oral chemotherapy drugs that we prescribe. 
um, from just from pharmacy to pharmacy. Um, and if if like anyone knows about uh, you know the the cost of human drugs, I think it's, it can be fairly similar in that um, one one pharmacy may may wind up uh, costing quite a bit more uh, relative to another. So um, I always uh, ask owners to to call around um, to to check out prices. That's a, a great suggestion, um, and it kind of leads me into our, our next question. Uh, this is from Sally, and Sally had asked about metronomic chemotherapy. Um, it's something that's been around for years. We used it on our dog back in 2007 and 8, and um, wanted to find out from you, um, is this something that you use with your patients who have osteosarcoma um, or other cancers that it, it may help with? And um, and are, is there any new news about it that you're aware of? Okay, uh, no, that's a that's a good question. Um, metronomic chemotherapy is not something that everyone's familiar with, um, so I'll I'll maybe just briefly touch on what it's about. Um, Thank you. It's it's a yeah it's a it's a different um, modality of chemotherapy where, um, in theory, what what's supposed to happen is that you're giving very low doses of chemotherapy drugs on a daily basis. Um, and the idea of it is to target uh, the blood vessels. So if if we can stop blood vessels from growing into a tumor, then the tumor can't be fed and the tumor can't grow. Um, so that's, that's in theory what's, uh, what that treatment is about. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different types of uh, metronomic chemotherapy protocols that are out there. Um, and I do tend to use them or offer them for certain types of cancers, uh, things like soft tissue sarcomas and hemangiosarcoma. Um, mm -hmm. More recently, people have been looking into it for osteosarcoma. And I do think that um, that there are certain drugs, uh, one drug called Palladia that's out there that's um, uh, been shown to have some uh, anti-angiogenic uh, properties that can help to uh, prevent the growth of blood vessels, just um, like I had described. Uh, and so um, there, there has been some anecdotal kind of, um, kind of information about there saying that it, ha it has been beneficial for osteosarcoma. Um, but then there's also some mixed information uh, that's been published as to exactly how effective it is and, and such. So I, I do believe that there is, um, there is, use for it in under certain conditions, but probably not for every single case off the bat. Mm -hmm. And um, do you ever recommend it in place of traditional chemotherapy? Uh, specifically for osteosarcoma, that, uh, I, would, I would not, just because I don't think that there's enough information out there to say that it's a better treatment um, uh, compared to um, what we've what we've used all along in the past, uh, which has been shown to really help end survival times. Um, mm -hmm. But for other types of, of cancers like hemangiosarcoma, um, there has been enough research that's been published out there that's, um, that does say that it's potentially um, a good alternative to traditional chemotherapy. That's really great to hear. That's good. I, I didn't even know it was being used for that type of cancer. That's great. Um, yeah. Now, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say it, it's uh, yeah. In theory, you know, it can be effective for all all different types of cancers. 
um, but it's mm-hmm. it's uh, pretty limited as to uh, how much research has been done and uh, which types of cancers we really think that it's it's a benefit for. Okay. Okay. Well, well, good to know. And here's here's another uh, interesting question from Sally, uh, and it's about carboplatin. And Sally wants to know: um, Can you tell us what is the preferred number of carboplatin treatments for osteosarcoma? Um, many of our members are dealing with that type of cancer, and so this is something that comes up a lot. Is it four treatments, six treatments? Um, what is your your preference? What do you normally recommend? Yeah, you know, when I talk to clients about um, about using carboplatin, uh, I, I do uh, say usually between four and six treatments is, is what's preferred. Four is kind of considered the minimum, um, and I think that if uh, the dog is tolerating the treatment well and not having significant side effects, um, then I would recommend uh, going to six. Um, but uh, if, if they are having some issues with side effects or if there's significant financial constraints or, you know, for any reason, if they feel like it's not the best thing uh, for them to go to six, then I think four is, is the minimum that I would recommend. So um, I don't think that that it's really known as to what, which is better. Um, so I think that's still somewhat up in the air. Okay. Okay. Well, well, that kind of answers uh, that as far as the number. I know it seems like everything is up in the air, really. Sometimes it seems like chemo is just a big, uh, a big guess. Uh, you know, at least when you're when you're going through it. Yeah. You know, I think that um, as much of this is is a science, it's also a little bit of an art form as well, and um, a, a lot of a lot of what. Um, a lot of what people wind up recommending for certain types of cancers can uh, can be based off of just own personal experience and personal preference. Um, it, it's not something where it's it's like a cookbook where um, where everyone gets the exact same thing. And so you, you can get some uh, some differing opinions about you know who uh, who likes which chemotherapy for which drug, or sorry for which uh, tumor. Um, and and who thinks what's more effective? Um, but we we definitely try and um, look at the research that's put out there and published. That is really good to know because you know all all oncologists are awesome, and you know a lot of times people are going back and forth saying, well, my mine said this and mine said that, and I don't ever want anybody to think their oncologist is wrong because, like you said, everybody's got their own experience and all animals are different and every situation is different. So, um, you know, it just kind of depends, I guess, is is what people can take away from that. Yeah, I, now, I, I would echo that. Cool. Well, you know, my and this kind of relates to uh, Valentine's mom's question. Um, Valentine had, um, she had one treatment of carboplatin and then the dog flu outbreak happened in Chicago where she lives and and she had to stop she just said I'm not going to take my dog to a vet hospital right now so it's been two months and Valentine has not gone back for treatment but she wants to Um, what what she wants to know is um, can resuming the chemotherapy be effective and are there any reasons that they shouldn't resume it Um, what are your thoughts about that thing that I would recommend would be to go back and um have some x-rays taken of, of um, Valentine's chest, um, looking for any evidence of metastasis that may have developed between then and now. 
Um, <clears throat> and so uh, if if we don't see any evidence of metastasis, then I, I definitely think that it is worth um, getting getting Valentine back onto um, onto chemotherapy. Um, that two month delay is not ideal in terms of um, the treatment for the cancer, um, but I think getting her back on would be better than not. Yeah, I would I would think so too. So so thank you for answering that and. I'll get to uh, another member question in a minute, but but first, um, let's talk about chemotherapy and, and side effects because I know that's a huge concern, and, and that's a, one reason why a lot of people say I, I won't do that to my cat or my dog. You know, they see what people go through, and they don't want their pets to experience the same thing. But can you tell me what what do you normally see? Does do animals get sick? You know, what happens if or when they do, and, and how can we avoid that? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so I, I think the most important thing to realize is that um, when we're treating some dogs with cancer, uh, with chemotherapy, uh, we have a very different philosophy um, for treating them compared to what people go through. Um, we understand that, you know, it's not a choice that our pets make for themselves. It's something that we make for them. Um, and they don't understand what, what's fully going on. And so um, our philosophy in general is that um, we want them to have a good quality of life, and that's probably the most important thing, quality over quantity. Um, and so what that means is that we use a much lower dose of the chemotherapy drugs um, than what's normally used in a person, even uh, even if you take into account the difference in size and weight of a pet. Um, it winds up being a much lower dose, um, and the dosing is spread out much more so that they have more time to kind of uh, recover from the treatment before they receive another one. And so, um, you know, that being said, um, most dogs and cats will tolerate chemotherapy fairly well, um, but may still have some uh, what we consider minimal side effects or mild side effects. Um, you could see very similar things to what, what people um, have for side effects. It's just usually to a much milder and lesser degree. So things like having for a few days or um, maybe some soft stool for a few days or some nausea for a few days. And so we always wind up sending home these supportive medications, anti-nausea drugs and anti-diarrhea type drugs um, to help if they do develop any of those side effects. Um, and if, if they don't, then they don't need to use them. Um, and many patients, you know, do do uh, totally fine without having having to use any of those meds. Um, and then there there is a small percentage. Um, we think probably less than five percent of our patients that undergo chemo that um, even though we do use a much lower dose than what's used in people, um, they can be very sensitive to the chemotherapy. And if they do develop significant enough side effects, then sometimes we do recommend having them come in and being hospitalized, um, receiving fluids and antibiotics and things like that. Um, and so it, it's it's not very common for, for them to have to come in and be hospitalized because of it, but it can be very serious if it does happen. And so, that, you know, we just want to make sure that um, our owners are well-educated um, and understand those risks before making a decision. And and when do side effects normally happen? Does it depend on the type of chemotherapy they're receiving? If they it were to happen, it does depend on the 
Yeah, so if if they were to um, have side effects, then usually um, most with most chemo drugs, it can happen a couple days after receiving the chemo. Um, so maybe like one to three days after receiving the chemo, you might start to see some side effects, and it may last for a couple days um, after that. Um, and then usually um, it uh, resolves on their own, or if, if they do need medications, then they they can give those supportive medications that we send home. What, what are your current medications that you're giving out um, for nausea and things like that? I'm, I'm just curious for my own knowledge. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we have a number of different uh, medications that we can use. Um, we can use things like Azofran or the, the generic name is called Ondansetron, um, and that's a pretty potent wow. anti-nausea drug that they give to people as well. Um, and then there's a, a specific um, a veterinary drug um, called Serenia um, or Maropitant is the other name for it um, that's pretty effective as well. Um, and then there's also Reglin, uh, which is also known as metoclopramide. Um, that can be very helpful for, for nausea. Um, and then for diarrhea, usually I use Flagyl um, or Metronidazole. Okay, okay. Those, that's really good to know, and I think we've pretty much heard of all of them in our discussion forums, so people can search for nausea medications. Um, and um, we have a, a question from Michelle here, and Michelle wanted to find out if there were any supplements that you would want your patients to avoid during treatment. Um, do, do you typically tell people to stop taking any kind of fish oil or, or other when they're receiving uh, chemo? Uh, the, the only supplements that I, I directly uh, tell them not to give uh, would be high levels of antioxidants. So things that have um, vitamin E, vitamin C, um, or other types of antioxidants at high doses um, can actually counteract the effect of certain types of chemotherapy um, and also with uh, radiation therapy. Um, so I always have them discontinue that, at least for the time being while they're on chemo, um, and they can resume it after they're completed with their um, with their treatment. Okay, okay, good to know. And yeah. as far as um, holistic approaches, um, there there are quite a few people out there who don't want to go the traditional chemotherapy route, and they want to take a more holistic, natural medicine type of approach. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's definitely utility in in holistic approaches. Um, I think that the majority of the oncology training residencies do not typically um, train their residents um, or doctors um, through any type of holistic type therapies or, or very minimal um, training in that. And so um, I, I do feel like there are certain um, certain supplements and herbs and things like acupuncture, which can be very helpful for all of these things. Um, I would normally recommend working closely uh, in conjunction with a holistic vet um, in addition to your oncologist to, um, if, if you are interested in uh, more of a holistic type approach, um, just because I think most oncologists are not trained in um, specifically in holistic type therapies. It's really great to hear that, that you're open to that. 
Um, you know, in the past we used to hear that oncologists would completely shut out the idea. So I'm, I'm so glad to hear more and more are, are seeing that there is a benefit um, if the patient wants to go that route or there can be a benefit. Yeah, um, I, I personally um, use, do use um, a couple of, of herbs, and I think, um, I think acupuncture is, uh, can be a benefit for, for certain types of, um, you know, effects of the tumor. Um, and so uh, I think that there definitely is a benefit to, to having more of a holistic approach, um, combining Eastern and Western type medicines. Um, but I, I do think that it would be best managed with a holistic vet in addition to your oncologist. Good to hear. Can can I ask yeah. you what herbs um, you would normally uh, mention to your, your patients? Yeah, um, that's a good question. The, the only one that I mainly use is called Yunin Bio, um, and that's a Chinese mm-hmm. herb um, that is um, that helps to prevent bleeding for certain types of uh, tumors that tend to bleed. Yeah, you know, that is an amazing um Nutraceutical, I believe is the right word. Um, we have a an article on that in our nutrition blog, and um, it is it is something else for all sorts of conditions. So I highly recommend people look into that. Um, yeah. We have a, a question here from Karen, and Karen is is one of our feline members. Um, her cat Mona is, and um, Mona had a a, a vaccine associated sarcoma. So Karen wants to know, uh, after a cat with vaccine-associated sarcoma has had their tumor removed, which treatment is most beneficial, radiation, chemo, or onset interleukin-2, or does it depend on how clean the margins are? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so um, I think the most important uh, piece of information that we're missing right there is is how clean the margins are. So. Um, the whole idea of amputation with vaccine-associated sarcomas is that if you can get a, a, a good wide margin, then you could be done, and you may not necessarily need to do any additional treatment for it. Um, but if if the margins are very narrow or very close, um, then uh, additional treatment like radiation or potentially this newer interleukin-2 um, treatment uh, would be uh, would be an option to to try and slow it down from coming back again. Thank you for answering that, Karen. I, I hope you're listening. And um, now I I'm just curious with with all of your knowledge and, and all of your daily experience in in treating cancers. What is the one thing that you wish pet parents like us would understand about chemotherapy? Um. I think uh, we kind of touched on this earlier, but um, I think it's really important for owners to to understand that, um, you know, we do have a very different philosophy behind uh, chemotherapy and that, um, you know, we really want to be able to maintain a good quality of life um, for your pet. Um, and that's probably the most important thing. And so um, that's not something that everybody understands and, and I think it's um, it's probably the the most important piece of information um, for for a pet parent to know. Um, and then that the, the chemo treatments uh, generally sh- should be tailored to each individual. 
um, and that it's not, you know, taking a recipe out of a cookbook. It's, it's something for um, each individual patient. And so there can be some variability as to what's best for one patient um, versus another. Okay. Thank you for that insight. Yeah, it, it's true. Every situation is different. And and we say it, too, all the time that, that it's all about quality over over quantity um, because you just never know. You never know how things are going to turn out. We always hope for the best, but you have to make the most of whatever time that you do have together after you've been you've dealt a, a cancer diagnosis. Um, we have a, yeah. one more question from, from a member. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dr. Shaw. Um, but earlier you mentioned that you do uh, you do recommend acupuncture in in a few uh, situations, and we have a member who wants to know if it's recommended for osteosarcoma patients. Is that something that you would recommend? Um, I normally would um, would recommend it more for any potential kind of um, potentially things like chemo side effects. Um, so it can be used for for nausea. Um, or for pain. So if uh, if you have a, an osteosarcoma patient that has not been amputated um, and is still significantly painful, then um, then it would it may be worth considering acupuncture for that. Okay. Well, well, thank you, Paula. I hope you're listening. Um, okay. Well, Dr. Shaw, it has been wonderful. We are really out of time, but we really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you so much, Tyra, for your time, Dr. Shaw, and for the great information. Listeners can learn more about your work and your various clinics around the San Francisco Bay Area at sagecenters.com. This and all Tripod Talk Radio podcasts, as well as ebooks and other helpful resources, can be found at downloads.tripods.com. Until next time, for the best pet amputation recovery and care tips and support for members, please visit the blogs and forums at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts and claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.